Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, Mining Community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining Podcast. And today's guest is Matthew Yates, who's the Executive Chairman of Oracorp, who are a development and exploration uh, company listed on the ASX and have an advanced high-grade multi-million ounce project in northwest Tanzania. Uh, Matt's an experienced geologist with over 30 years' experience in exploration and project development, working in Australia or has worked in Australia, Central Asia and West Africa. Um, he's been with Oracorp since 2013, moving up from CEO um, to managing director. Um, and he's here today to tell us more about Oracorp and their journey so far. So let's welcome uh, Matthew to the podcast. How you doing, Matthew? Yeah, lovely. Good, Rob. Thanks a lot for having me on. Yeah, appreciate your time as well. So wondered if you can... Um, give our audience a little bit of background about yourself, about your career, um, and then before we go on and speak about Oracle. Yeah, sure. Look, um, I'm born, bred and educated in the UK, graduated from Nottingham University in uh, July 87 and came out here to Perth in Western Australia uh, the following month in August. And the rest, they say, is history. And I guess I had nine successful years predominantly in the gold fields of Western Australia um, before I then went to Tanzania in 1996. That was a big eye-opener for me moving to Africa. We had a successful project out there after a dream run here in the gold fields. And then when I came back to Perth uh, in the early noughties, that saw me on sort of corporate development for a group looking for projects. And that culminated in bringing in uh, quite a few uranium projects into a company called Omega Core in 2005. That led on to a thing called Mantra, um, but all of those projects were successfully taken over. And then in 2010, we established uh, Orcore then as a private company. The company really was sort of um, sort of set about with the sole objective of finding company-making asset. And really, as you paint my picture, I've steadily worked my way through to executive chair now uh, where we've given or I've given the CEO and MD role onto a guy called Hank Diedrich who's an engineer, a mine uh, builder, a developer and operator which is a different set of skill sets from mine. I like finding things other people like building them so that's really brings me up to where we are with the present day and all core and its development projects at Nine Zyga. I wondered if um, if you can, um, obviously the, the company was founded 13 years ago. So just wondered if you can give us a little bit about the journey of the company since you um, since you started back then to the sort of present day. Yeah, look, I think um, uh, Alistair Morrison, who co-founded the company with me and another guy called George Bennett, who's um, based in South Africa. I guess we'd all had our own, if you like, successful career paths, um, particularly Alistair as well, who's another geologist. He'd had a, a runner here in the gold fields. He'd then worked in the Tanami uh, on the Granites project there before he moved to Tanzania as well in 1996. And I guess both of us had, had had successful careers of being part of big discovery 
teams uh, in our careers. And uh, we'd also work for small companies and large. And I guess out of all of those, we saw different attributes that were positives and obviously ones which were not so positive. The whole idea of all calls to pull together all of those, let's call it key and positive attributes with a with a uh, with a pure view to sort of generating a thoroughbred mining company that was focused uh, predominantly on gold and base metals. And I guess that was the application of our skill set. And uh, back in 2010, when we set the company up, we raised 11 million dollars as if you like seed capital with a view to start scouring the earth looking for things and uh, the earth it's fair to say in 2010 was pretty well pegged that took us into Ethiopia and on to Mauritania and we ended up starting grassroots projects in those two countries we've never been shy at moving around and we saw their great geological endowment in both countries and with a view then to get the company started we then listed it in 2013, topped the tin up, and again, we're very well backed. So we've always been in the capital markets to actually then work up the projects we've got, but also keep a good uh, look in our rear vision mirror for any opportunity that might be coming our way. Now, that started to move forward, I guess, in uh, 2015, when we uh, started to talk with Acacia about the Nine Zaga project in Tanzania. I'd known about it as at Alistair from our time and experience in Tanzania. And I guess this is where our experience as a group started to come more than together. We had the chairman Craig Williams there just come off a massive win uh, with the Lamwana project in Zambia in Equinox Minerals. And we knew what a mine looks like, you know, and when you're starting to uh, scour the earth to look for things. People say, well, well, what are you looking for? And we said, well, we'll know when we find it. And Nine Zaga, when we got there as a, a project that had been left on the shelf, thought processes around it really hadn't moved in about 20 years. But we saw scale and opportunity. It's a multi, multi-million ounce deposit. It had always been viewed as a massive, great big open pit. We saw a geological opportunity to get in there and focus on the geology. That's something we truly believe in, and mineral systems, and deliver an opportunity that could give us scale and scalability to the project. Um, we ultimately did a deal with Acacia. We've always been ambitious. I think when we did that, we had a market cap of about 5 million Aussie and about the same in the bank. We had an earning of 15 million US and people thought this was a large mountain for us to climb. But I guess we've always had confidence we've backed ourselves. And we've also backed ourselves in terms of uh, what we see in a mineral deposit as well. And we've rarely been wrong, you know, as a group. We had an outstanding track record of discovery and development uh, in different companies, I'll boot. But at the end of the day, we all know what we were looking for. And then by 2016, the market had changed. We raised a pile of money, and that enabled us to push on and uh, complete our earning in Nizaga. That 15 million took us to 25% of the project. And then um, fast forward a bit further, there was then opportunity to acquire 100% of the project, which we ultimately did. So mission accomplished, if you like. The company was set up to find a world-class asset, which we've done, and also uh, an anchor project for the company moving forward. And 
whatever happens in the company, whether it's bought or whether it goes on to buy other things, you need that anchor asset to get you going. And this is what we genuinely believe we have at Nine Zaga. We've delivered a mine now that can, uh, sorry, a development project that can deliver around about 250,000 ounces over 10 years for starters. And we see many, many more years uh, beyond that in the current resource base, plus all of the exploration potential around it. I wonder if you can just tell us a little bit more, discuss the progress of uh, Nine Saga. Yeah, look, we um, I guess we've moved on a long way in the past uh, two years in particular. I think there were some challenges uh, that we experienced in Tanzania. There was a president who had a different view of mining in the resources sector. He passed away two years ago. Um, that then uh, uh, allowed a new president to come to the fore who had a very, very different view of investment, a different view on natural resources and their development. And uh, in Samir Salah Hussain, uh, the new president, we see a great and golden opportunity moving forward in Tanzania. So over the past two years, we've achieved an awful lot. We've managed to fully permit the project, that's the special mining license, that's the environmental certificate. There's ancillary permits around that, but they're basically box ticking. We also managed to bring in uh, $56 million around about two years ago, big equity raise that could see us through this sort of pre-development phase. We then finished the definitive feasibility study. We concluded that uh, in August last year, again, right in the middle and tail end of the COVID, no mean feat. And Hank and his team uh, did a brilliant job on delivering what is a very high margin, large uh, production profile, long life uh, mining operation to the fore. So in the past two years, we've come an awfully long way. We now see um, the resettlement and the financing as two of the key work streams ahead of the construction starting and we're belts and braces into those uh, as we speak at this point in time. Um, the company's focus on gold and base metals. Um, mm. Why are you? Why as a company focus on those two uh, two areas or two? Commodities? Yeah, look, I mean, it's where we've, I guess, cut most of our teeth. The gold, uh, all of us as a board and group, focus largely on gold. I think the thing is, particularly when you start working in kind of more um, distal parts of the world, you tend to find that once you've built the mine, you've then got to get product out. The great thing with gold is you fly it out in a briefcase. And it's also got an incredibly transparent pricing mechanism that any day, any time in the week, you know what an ounce of gold is going to cost you. You know, So whereas some of these more nefarious elements, I've done work in uranium, uh, in the in the late sort of noughties and very, very different in terms of pricing that sort of product. And also you see in, in the critical metal space now, you know, particularly things like lithium, whatever, it's very difficult to get a consensus on pricing and indeed to price it. With base metals as well, particularly uh, around the copper um, uh, side of things, um, you know, there's always a ready market for that metal. It's incredibly difficult to substitute. It's one of the most efficient transmitters of electricity. So whether you're pushed to look for, say, copper as base metal, 
would be part of the yeah, um, sort of uh, energy revolution that we're seeing at the moment is 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 part of that, or or whether it's just uh, it is a metal for transmitting electricity and not being able to be substituted. Also, a relatively transparent pricing mechanism there. You know, on the LME, you can get an idea of what a ton of copper is going to um, cost you any day of the week. So. We like those, and we think they give scalability. We they also tend to. Uh, there's always a ready market for gold, copper, um, and any of the other base metals for that matter as well. Because I think if you've got a product, you need to be able to sell it. Often, some of these uh, other metals, it's probably geography getting it to the port. I can you move a bulk commodity through given area, and then there's a set price at the other end. Uh, uh, of of the food chain and that to us probably not so appealing so as a group we felt that if we stuck to our knitting where we've had success before don't do anything weird keep our message simple to the market also be whole on what you're looking for don't just follow every metal because the market's moved you've got to make a decision with mining it's a long-term commitment you know, to get this project financed and built now is going to be another two to two and a half year journey. And you have to be committed to do that. And we think that also jumping from commodity to commodity, it takes the focus away from the company and the people in it. Um, Tanzania's um, had, has had some political, obviously, challenges. Where do you feel the country is right now? Oh, well, I think it's heading to a, a lovely sweet spot. Um, I have a 25-year history uh, in Tanzania. I first went there in 96, and I've been in and out of the country. I lived there for five years and in and out of the country. There was a period there under the previous president, Magafuli, that was challenging between 2015 uh, and 2020. Um, and I think that sort of took Tanzania on a path that it, most of us had not seen before. Um, I think there was also, you know, throughout a lot of Africa after the after the boom, whether it's Tanzania or anywhere, a lot of kind of resource nationalism uh, got moved around. Um, President Magafuli passed away and uh, was um, succeeded by uh, Samir Salafisan, uh, Lady President, who came to the fore within three weeks of taking power. That's nearly two years ago now. Um, came in with kind of sweeping changes that they wanted the investment dollar back into Tanzania. Uh, they wanted to support those investments and basically make things happen. And certainly from our point of view as a company, by June, we'd been waiting for this cabinet approval for our special mining license for nearly three years. Uh, we got that. We then negotiated over six months all of our key agreements, which is a framework agreement shareholders agreement and ancillary documentation and then we had our mining license granted um december of that year so from our point of view it's moved forward very quickly you've also seen a lot of investment starting to flow back into the country which we believe is a huge uh, big tick um you've seen that with bhp in particular putting around about 100 plus million us into kabanga Barrack tidied up uh, the uh, dispute with Acacia. Acacia was 75% uh, owned by Barrack. Barrack's done a great job in terms of tidying 
all that up. And the government's also done a great job in working to resolve that dispute. You know, this willingness to resolve things, I think, has been warmly welcomed by everybody. So Barrett now reopened and have put a, a considerable amount of investment into Bullion Hulu. They've also put a $60 million um, payment package together for licenses around Bullion Hulu, um, which, again, you wouldn't have seen before. You've got Anglo-American now accelerating their underground program, also their exploration program uh, out and around Gator, uh, which is all positive. And we've got a raft of rare earth uh, and graphite producers as well now that are starting to get permitted and looking to bring money in. And then the petrodollar, which is really, to me, is one of the bellwethers of, of a country's um, strength, is that we've seen now um, Total Energies in particular have started this East African crude oil pipeline from Uganda coming through Tanzania into the coast. That's a three and a half billion dollar initiative and there's no way they would have started that if they didn't have a level of comfort in Tanzania and probably importantly uh, Shell is about to make a final, a final investment decision on the LNG project uh, on the on the coast of Tanzania which is somewhere in the order of 30 to 35 billion dollars now you put all those projects together you're probably looking at 40, 45 billion dollars investment. That matches the current GDP of Tanzania. So it's it's a massive commitment. You know, the Tanzanian economy is is wanting and willing to grow. And I think you'll see this investment coming in over the next three to five years that is going to seriously and materially change Tanzania for the better. Um, over the first 20 years that I had involvement there, you saw the growth of the middle classes, which is is key, I think. Uh, in any of these sort of developing countries and they proudly move forward. And there's a lot of uh, willing, highly educated, very capable people in Tanzania that I believe want to see it a lot better place. And we want to be part of that with them as well. So it's a win-win settlement uh, that they uh, arrive with Acacia. It's a win-win then for the whole industry. And you put that against the backdrop of large uh, economic investment, and I don't see uh, how there's a downside to any of that. I think uh, Tanzania is moving into a very, very positive phase, and that's an absolute um, credit to Her Excellency and her government, and uh, we're looking forward to working with them. I've just had the board meeting, quarterly board meeting, with our local uh, government reps there now, and it passes off in as professional a manner as you could Imagine a board meeting in Perth would do anywhere. And uh, again, nothing but um, help, assistance and a positive attitude, which is exactly what we need to get things done. Which is really, really good. <clears throat> really good to hear. Uh, that yeah, no, I think seriously, Rob, you know, Tanzania, yes, it's had a wobble. It's back on track now. And I think we put, you know, what happened behind us and we move forward. Look, anywhere in the world, there's always challenges building a mining project. You're moving lots of big, heavy equipment around. There are lots of things have to happen all in one go. So anybody who tells you that any of these things, building them or financing them anywhere in the world is probably trying to oversimplify things. But I genuinely believe now Tanzania is on a good path and uh, we're looking forward to working with Her Excellency and the government 
and all of the people in it delivering Tanzania's first large-scale gold mine in 15 years. Orco is undoubtedly one of the best undeveloped gold projects. Um, how does that fit in with your corporate objectives? Well, it's exactly what we set out to do. You know, and I think I mentioned earlier, you need an anchor project um, to develop and grow a company now. That's exactly what we set out to do as a corporate objective when we set the company up in 2010. And that's exactly what we've delivered. We've delivered a multi-million ounce, high margin, large gold, uh, potential gold producer. And uh, so to us, that's all the boxes ticked. So let's see the growth for the future through through acquisition and discovery, uh, you know, or, or sometimes these companies can merge with others and that can lead to a bigger outcome as well. So I think all of our uh, corporate objectives were settled with Nine Zaga and it's onwards and upwards from here. What's your views on the uh, on the gold price and where do you think it's obviously heading? Well, I guess being a, gold being my favourite metal, I'm, I'm a bull. I believe the US interest rate cycle will pretty well come to an end, um, hopefully this year. I think we're seeing it starting to top. Um, and I believe that that's going to be the catalyst to move the gold price north. You started to see that already. The minute they sort of mentioned loosening the reins a little bit, the gold price starts to nudge up. Um, I guess consensus depends on who you talk to, but my view is that it should start to move well over $2,000 an ounce. I think there's a few fundamentals around that. And I guess, you know, there's been an inflationary blip. We've seen that. Is that sustained? But, you know, at the end of the day, the cost of building these projects and operating them isn't reducing. And to that end, whether it be gold, nickel, copper, pick a metal, you know, if these things are costing more to get out of the ground and as part of this inflationary cycle, I believe that uh, gold sort of set on one or two sort of fundamentals that we'll see it go a lot higher quite quickly. And I guess my wish list for Christmas would be somewhere north of 2000 ideally closer to $2,500 if, if it could get there. Nine Zaga is also uniquely positioned to capitalise on that as well, you know, lifting the gold price to $2,000 an ounce. Uh, increases the MPV of the project by around about 50%, you know, which is a huge lift. You then do the math, then on to 2250 and 2500, and uh, you can soon end up with a very large number in front of you, which is of great appeal, obviously, to us and, and the potential investor. Yeah, I hope I hope it is two and a half thousand by the end of the year, but we will, yeah. we will see. Sadly, we oh. don't control that, Rob, but uh, no. yeah, <laughs> got to have your wish list for Christmas. Yeah, certainly. Um, where are you with uh, funding uh, discussions um, and what are the, the next steps? Yeah, so look, getting the DFS done and out the door was a key to that. Obviously, the banks need a document to work with. And uh, we had a lot of interest um, and still have a lot of interest. We sort of gone out, if you like, for looking for around about $300 million in debt as an outset. I think we stated that publicly before Christmas and fairly safe to say we were swamped by a lot of non-binding indicative offers. Um, so we've then moved that forward. That's progressing steadily as, as we speak. We've now got the independent technical experts. They've been 
to site, they'll be finalising their report that they give to the banks then, with a view then to looking um, at, at starting to mandate the banks later on uh, in the next, over the coming months uh, on the back of, of that report and other, uh, uh, and other bits of documentation. So the debt side of things moving well and running in parallel with that, we've uh, also had an influx of, uh, I guess, uh, expressions of interest from various royalty slash streaming groups. Now, these offer, uh, I guess, uh, an alternative uh, way to fund the project. It's um, it's relatively new and not well widely used down here in Australia, but in North America, it has become a key part of funding strategy and um, a lot of the sort of proposals that are being put forward to us at the moment do make for quite a compelling read. So we would see probably going forward uh, that we're going to obviously have to look at those things a lot closer. The price of debt has increased, as we've all seen globally in the past 12 months, gone from essentially nothing to now sort of four, five, six percent, where they're sort of saying the interest rate cycle finish. Um, and then that makes these sort of streaming propositions look a lot more attractive than they ever did. And, uh, you know, some of the numbers that are being thrown about are very appealing. And we intend to get the best outcome we can for our shareholders in the least dilutive manner of getting there. And I think if that involves taking on a stream, um, then I think uh, we're more than willing to entertain that. So it's quite an exciting phase for the company. The remainder of the money will come from equity, but obviously we're hoping as the gold price starts to lift, we're starting to see it already in the industry, a bit more of a positive sentiment flowing back through into gold equities. And I guess if we get lucky on the timing, we're going to get uh, a really good outcome. So we're uh, quite excited by where we're at and that we're moving forward very, very well. And concluding, what's the outlook for the remainder of uh, 2023? Well, look, I guess to be greedy, I think it'd be nice to be fully funded, moving forward on time, on budget, and uh, with a gold price well north of $2,000 an ounce. And I guess with that all said, then, we would start looking for our next opportunity moving forward. So, uh, yeah, that's our wish list for Christmas. And I believe it's all achievable. The only bit, I guess, I don't control is the gold price, but we'll look to the gold gods for that. Yeah. And you obviously you mentioned other opportunities. Would you still stay in Tanzania or would you look a little bit further afield within Africa? Well, look, I think part of the growth strategy of the company obviously would, would have be an African focus. Um, you know, we obviously need to get this put to bed, as I've said, but, you know, realistically, um, yeah, we're quite happy with Tanzania and obviously East Africa in general is an exciting place to be geologically. So uh, we always keep our eyes open and anything that will make sense on the corporate development and business opportunities, we're always going to look at it. And if it can enhance shareholder value, we're uh, we're all there. Great. Matthew, really appreciate your time giving us an update on our call and um, wish you well for the remainder of 2023. Perhaps you want to come on the podcast uh, next year and give us a give us an update. Yeah, lovely, Robin. Thanks a lot for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to meet you and uh, thank you. Yeah, no worries. Um, for our audience, if they want to reach out to you, 
they've got any questions, if they want to follow the story, how can they go about doing that? What social media platforms are you on? Yeah, so look, we're um we have obviously our, our website, which is uh dot au. Uh, you can just well Google us. We're on LinkedIn and we've got Twitter and several other things moving on. So uh inquiries at Allcore for direct inquiries to me uh, off the website and uh, just reach out or if you want to talk, call us on the office line, which is plus six one eight nine three eight one triple nine seven and we're available to talk no worries we include all those in the show notes accompanying this podcast um and obviously on the youtube channel as well so um if you want to reach out to matthew and his team obviously feel free to uh, contact him and look at the, the social media links for for any updates so really appreciate your time matthew for those that are listening appreciate your continued support please keep sharing these episodes and the podcast um, to educate the, the mining industry, um, give others within the mining community updates on obviously what's happening around the world. Um, so I really appreciate your continued support. And until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.